بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وصلى على سيدنا ونبينا مولانا محمد وعلى وسلم we are in surah al-ghafir surah number 40 and ayah number 28 اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وقال رجل مؤمن من آل فرعون يكتم إيمانه وتقتلون رجلا أن يقول ربي الله وقد جاءكم بالبينات من ربكم وإن يكو كاذبا فعليه كذبه وإن يكو صادقا يصبكم بعض الذي يعيدكم إن الله لا يهدي من هو مصرف كذاب This is the beginning of the believing man's sermon to the people of Fir'aun and in the Fir'aun's court and to Fir'aun himself. So Fir'aun now is listening to this person from his own family who's now defending Musa after revealing that he is a Muslim and a believer. As I mentioned last week, these ayat will show the scope of Musa orientation and education of his people, and that these words are not spoken by someone uh, who is not privy to the knowledge of prophets. So there were many sessions this person had with Musa. There was a lot of transmission of, you know, very insightful pieces of knowledge and information. So the believing man uh, who was from the family of Fir'aun, who hid his faith, concealed his faith, said that, are you going to kill a man simply because he says, Allah is my Lord? Is that the only reason you're going to kill him? Which obviously has no uh, reason behind it, except perhaps which is political. And uh, Fir'aun doesn't want to be seen as someone who is exploiting people simply for political reasons. So he now he knows how to address Fir'aun and uh, the people in front of him who are his supporters. And so on. So, so you don't kill somebody simply because they have a different religion. Rabbi Allah, that my Lord is Allah. And so on. So this goes against the grain of human civilizational values that you do allow people to worship what they want to worship within a legal code of behavior. And so on. So Muslims allowed non-Muslims to exist within uh, Darul Islam all the time. So there's a, are you killing him simply because Allah is saying that Allah is my Lord? Instead of saying Fir'aun is my Lord. Oh. While he has brought to you very evident signs from your Lord. So one is that uh, Allah is Musa's Lord. And number two is that he's also your Lord. 
you've got to find the, the proof that he is your Lord are the signs, the miracles, uh, both internal and external, as I mentioned last week, that Musa salam has brought to you to prove to you that the divine is not Fir'aun, the divine is someone else that you are now being introduced to by Musa salam. That's just on a religious foundational principle. Another principle, he says, is utilitarian. If he's lying, then the lie is against him. If he's lying, then what is his lie going to do for him? It will not benefit him. It will harm him. It will hurt him. So even from a very practical point of view, anyone who lies knows that their lie will not benefit them, especially if he's not in power. Musa is not in power. He doesn't have any authority over you, neither legally nor politically or any other way. And if he's lying, then why would he lie about something that he knows will cause him harm and trouble? But however, on the flip side, if he is truthful, then then some of what he is promising you will come upon you. You will be afflicted. So there are two scenarios which are mathematical. One is that he's lying. If he's lying, then you don't have to worry about his threats. If he's lying. But if he's not lying, then you should worry about his threats. Because then you might face the wrath of God if he is speaking the truth. Some of what he is promising you will come upon you. And then thirdly, theologically, he makes a statement that Allah indeed does not guide anyone who is extravagant and exceeds all boundaries, musrif, and anyone who is a kadhab, a pathological liar. So anyone who exceeds all limits, who is a musrif, and anyone who lies all the time, Allah does not guide such people. So Musa salam, he is not a pathological liar, as you know. And also he doesn't exceed any boundaries in his lifestyle, in his behavior, in any shape whatsoever. And the truth is that Allah doesn't guide such people. So Allah only guides people who are not extravagant and who are not liars. And that is how you tie the proof of Nabuwa with the seerah of the Nabi. The seerah of the Nabi is a proof for his Nabuwa. And that's how perhaps we should address and introduce Islam to people today, that we want you to look into the seerah of the Prophet and see what type of person he is, what type of human being he is, what he has done, what he does, and so on. So the proof is always in the pudding. So his actions speak much louder than his words, and that's the way you introduce Islam. Not through abstract discussion, argumentation, whatever that you can do if there's a debate at hand. But if there's no debate at hand, then the way you want to do that is to put a human face onto Islam. And there's only one human face for Islam, and that is the face of the Prophet 
So you want to introduce the Prophet to non-Muslims more than you want to introduce Islam as a rule. So that, that's where your conversation should be, meaning that when we look at this man, this person, he is this, this and that. And then there's no man on the planet like him. And the reason why we believe him is because of who he is and what he is. And then whatever he says not only makes sense, but it makes perfect sense morally that we follow such a person who, mashallah, alhamdulillah, is this way. And uh, that's why when you talk about Qadianis, then you say, look at the man. So it's not that you, you demolish them because of their false assumptions and their claims, but you demolish them because you demolish the man who says he is Qadiani. Look into his life, if he has one. This is what he did. He lied here, he did this, he did this, he did that. So you must know his life in order to misrepresent and represent uh, whatever it is you want to do. So the proof is always in the pudding. Uh, no. So that's why when you're talking to perilists and they say that Ibn Arabi or uh, others were, or Rumi, were perilists, we say, well, that's not what their lives tell us. Their lives tell us they were very Muslim. They wore the imama. They offered tahajjud. They fasted nafil. They did ibadat. They give sadaqah. That's not a life of perilist. <laughs> That's a life of a Muslim, a genuine, dedicated, focused, passionate Muslim. Yeah, so this, uh, this uh, what the, the, the uh, Rajul al-Mu'min is saying here, the believing man, is that the, the proof of uh, Nabi's Nabuwa is in the Nabi himself. The Nabi is the proof, the greatest proof. The greatest bayina and mu'ajiza is the Prophet He is the ultimate mu'ajiza. And whatever he brings, that's also mu'ajiza. But they're lesser than him. They're, they're, they're all part of him. And it's because of him that the mu'ajiza occurs. And so on. يَا قَوْمِ لَكُمُ الْمُلْكُ الْيَوْمَ ظَاهِرِينَ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَمَنْ يَنْصُرُنَا مِنْ بَأْسِ اللَّهِ إِنْ جَاءَنَا Then he goes on and discusses further through his argumentation uh, that uh, addressing the people about their authority or lack of authority, their power and lack of power. And he says that, oh my people, you have ostensible authority and kingdom and prerogatives today that you are ruling the world that you're ruling the world today and you have some limited authority and prerogatives you can put people into jail you can execute them you can torture them and so on which is fine that we will give you that and say that you have some authority today and you have some power today but who's going to protect us from Allah's wrath if it comes to us. So now he includes himself in the facing of Allah's wrath. Because he's part of the family of Firaun. So he's saying that I'm part of you. I'm from your kith and kin. I'm part of your blood. And if Allah's wrath comes, I will be included in that wrath. So he says that who's going to help us if Allah's wrath comes upon us? and it comes uh, into existence, then there's no one there to help us uh, except Allah himself. So now he concedes that he has no authority uh, with his people, and they have authority over him and Musa, but then he also concedes that uh, no one has authority 
Allah and Allah's wrath and Allah's uh, actions and so on. So he strips them of authority when it comes to Allah and he gives them authority when it comes to their political power and that is how you make concessions when you are debating. Okay, so you can't be, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, dismissive of uh, who people are and what people are. So if someone is in authority, you will have to respect that authority. Okay, you can't be crude and uncouth and say, I don't believe in you. <laughs> that's not the point. The point is this man that you don't believe in will put you in jail. That's the truth. Okay? So if you want to speak the truth, then speak the truth to him in such a way that he understands where he is and where you are. And then where Allah is, where the Rasul is, where the Quran is, and so on. So that is called that place people where they belong where they have a certain position and status then respect that position and status otherwise if they kill you then that's on you it's not on them that's what they can do and as the ulama as I've mentioned in the Qushayriya series the ulama always respected this from their opponents all the time that they didn't go overboard and they weren't excessive in denigrating and making derogative remarks about people uh, unless um, obviously it was absolute jihad with an un-Muslim then it's different but if, if you're there in uh, a, a process then you have to respect the people who are controlling the process and so on Qala mm. Firaun Firaun then stands his ground and as the astute politician that he was, he makes a few remarks to show his people he has total and absolute authority. Ma urikum illa ma ara. That I'm showing you what I see. My observation is much better than this person's observation. This person is one of my subjects and his knowledge and observation and skill sets are far less than my observations and skill sets. So I'm showing you what I see. And what I see is that I'm your Lord. And the only way I'm guiding you is the way of the truth and righteousness and the true guidance. And so Sabil Rashad, the path of true guidance and so on. So that's why I'm showing you, I'm showing the path to felicity, happiness and freedom and all of that in this world and that's the only thing I can show you this man here who claims to be this, that and that he's only looking from his perspective so Firon concedes that he has a perspective um, as I said he's very astute and he's very clever and very shrewd so he's saying that yeah this man has a point of view but his point of view is nothing in front of my point of view I am your lord and I have this point of view. I see what I see, and he sees what he sees. What he sees is insignificant, and is not the right path. So this is how you understand uh, these ayat of Allah's. As you can see, this debate is very intriguing. And then the one who believes, who believed, he says, Allah is using this descriptive turn to show that it was because he believed that he was able to say this. Your belief uh, must express itself somewhere when the time comes. So Iman must express itself. 
So the iman must come to surface, and iman must have them fruits, and uh, must uh, show uh, you show you and others that uh, you are a believer, and so on. So the person who believed said that I fear that there's going to be a day like the day of Ahzab, the day of alliances and groupings and groups and so on. Yeah, so now obviously he's been trained by Musa salam, he's been informed by Musa salam of all these realities and he says, okay, if you don't know what Yawm al-Ahzab is, I'm going to tell you the Yawm al-Ahzab, the day when alliances are destroyed. Just like the pattern and the example of the people of Nuh and the people of Ad and the people of Thamud. So from this ayah, it is clear that the Egyptians knew about Nuh and they knew about Ad and they knew about Thamud. Otherwise, this would be a redundant statement by the believing person. So they, they knew their world history. They were neighbors to Arabia, obviously, so they knew Ad and Thamud, and they were neighbors to the people of Nuh who came much before them. So they knew in their folklore, in their songs, in their stories, telling that they had an idea about these people. This believing person just confirms that they did exist, and they were destroyed. And I fear that you will be destroyed uh, the way they were destroyed, and also those who came after them that people before you came and they were destroyed as I said last week there is a preamble to this discussion and that sets the stage for this discussion here uh, in this passage and Allah does not intend any kind of injustice against his servants Allah is not unjust Allah is fair Allah is not cruel Allah is just, and Allah does things out of justice and adl. So if he's going to punish you, he's going, he's going to punish you because you are unjust, not because he's unjust. That is your uh, theology there. Allah does not commit any kind of injustice against any servant of his because they're all his servants, and they are his creation. He has no reason to be unjust, except when servants say and they rebel and they, uh, what do you call it, enact a mutiny against God himself, then God says, oh, say, okay, then we'll have to throw you overboard. We're not going to let the ship of humanity capsize because of you. We'll just throw you overboard if that's the case. So Allah is not unjust. You are unjust. And I fear, oh, my people, that this will happen to you if you continue to listen to your king and ruler Fir'aun here and I all my people I fear the day of crying out nida and so on the day of crying and calling that on that day when you are crying and calling out Allah that will be the day of judgment but you will have no recourse there you will have no one there to help you and to assist you the day when you will turn back uh, on your heels and you will have nowhere to turn, nowhere to go, nowhere to run to. You will be running away from Allah's wrath, but you won't have any place to run to. There's no escape there. 
on that day. So now Musa salam has been informing him of the day of judgment and telling him what's going to happen. Allah is recording that here. Document in the Quran uh, that a believing person must know these realities if they're going to give da'wah. Mm. One is to show, mashallah, the beauty of Islam, which is wonderful, but when push comes to shove and there are tyrants in front of you, maybe a little bit of intimidation is also necessary, that we're intimidating you with the day of judgment, that you're not God. Mm. God is someone who's going to judge you, and when Allah judges you, then you've had it. Right. So now, we'll give you your dunya, and whatever authority you have in the dunya, but you can't take the akhirah because you will have no authority whatsoever. So he's intimidating his people, his own people, by bringing the akhirah into the discussion, something that Muslims of today must not shy away from and say, we believe in the akhirah, we believe that there is a day of judgment, and we believe there is a God, and we believe there is, God forbid, the possibility of punishment, and we believe there is jannah, and so on. There's no one for you besides Allah as a protector, as someone who is going to help you and assist you and protect you from the punishment. And whomever Allah misguides, there's no one to guide him. So this is also a theological point, that at the end of the day, Allah guides whom he wants to. But the means of guidance are there for you to employ and use. If you choose not to use them, then you won't be guided. And if you choose to use them, you will be guided. So there's cause and effect in this world, meaning time and space. Allah provides the means of guidance, and human beings have the discretion, and they have the option to use the means of guidance, or they have the option not to use them. And that's up to them. So Allah won't guide anyone that he misguides eventually. And so on. But it doesn't mean to say there's no equal opportunity. There is equal opportunity. The fact that you chose the wrong one means Allah misguided you eventually. And that is how we see these types of ayat and so on. Then he brings about uh, some history of Egypt itself where a person who is a da'i person who's calling others to Islam must know something about the history of the people that he's giving da'wah to. A little bit so that you can communicate and there's some kind of platform upon which you can discuss. If you are someone who is not from that community and you go and give da'wah and there's no relationship between you and the community, then you shouldn't be given da'wah. You know, the, the, the angels don't come from the heaven and guide people. It is you. So you must show through your knowledge and research and homework that you know something about them. Right? Uh, you can't be <laughs> you know, the, the great Sufi uh, sheikh that somehow you have this masterful ruhaniya spirituality and that's going to descend upon the people you speak to. That doesn't happen. Uh, it happens to those people because they're very, very close to Allah. But for people who want to give da'wah in this country, they should know a little bit about the history of this country. So that there's a relationship between you and them, at least academically and intellectually. There's something there that you have something in common that you can speak about. So now the, the, the believing person brings about some Egyptian history 
into the mix of his da'wah. And he talks about Yusuf, mm. Now, Yusuf is, was a foreigner. You see, Yusuf was not a Qibti. He was not a Coptic. He, he, he is, as you know, from the Palestine. And Canaan and Yaqub, his people were there, were there. Mm. Yeah, and they, they were foreigners in Egypt. Yusuf, Islam came as a slave boy, and then he came as a foreigner. And then he brought his family into Egypt as foreigners and so on. So they're not Egyptian. They're Hebrews, um, etc. So, anyways, he says, "Look, I'm going to bring you some history about foreigners in this country, where Musa is from that uh, people, from those people of Yusuf. So, Musa is obviously from the Banu Israel, the children of Yaqub and he's here. And he, Yusuf came, and this is what you did to him. And Musa came, and this is what you did to him." He's comparing now the two histories and so on. It's very ingenious. وَلَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ يُوسُفُ مِنْ قَبْلُ بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ فَمَا زِلْتُمْ فِي شَكِّمْ مِمَّا جَاءَكُمْ بِهِ That indeed Yusuf came to you before with all the signs and evidences of his nabuwa and his skill sets and his person and his personality. And you've always been in doubt about what he brought to you also. Meaning that you really never truly accepted the Dao of Yusuf that he gave, and you were always in askance about him, and you always treated him with a little bit of suspicion that he's a foreigner, what's he doing in our country? There was a little bit of xenophobia there, and this is now spilling over into Musa, and you're very suspicious about why Musa is here and trying to ruin our life and lifestyle and our way of life and so on. And so, so now he's realizing that there is a disease or a little bit of germ there of xenophobia and that germ is now showing its ugly face by you rejecting Musa because he's not from you. But he was raised by you. So he is from you. And that was the dilemma that Firaun also had with Musa. That he was his adopted son. And so on. Until the time when Yusuf expired and then you made statements saying that Allah will never send another messenger after him. So you believed in Yusuf for a while and you believed in his message and then afterwards when you saw that no one else from his family was ever going to be a Rasul al-Nabi because now they have been they are integrated with the local customs and culture and they will not keep their identity. Oh. So that's also another problem of integration. That if you if you're not part of a culture then you remain separate and different and that uh, difference causes xenophobia and so on. Okay. So there's a lot to play with here and discuss uh, sociologically, anthropologically and also in terms of your political interaction or lack of interaction with people here and there and everywhere in the world and so how far can you integrate how far should you integrate and so on so you give up your norms and your standards and your customs and practices because you have integrated or do you make sure that you remain somewhat aloof and distinct mm. so that is now a debate uh, for people to uh, dwell into if they want to and so on but here uh, the people of uh, Firaun and uh, the Egyptians found 
that they need a reason to discard Yusuf. Despite Yusuf making the contributions he made to save Egypt, literally he saved Egypt from famine and from disaster. He saved them, but even after saving them, they did not accept him as part of them. And because of that, they held this against Musa and Islam. It doesn't matter what Musa brings to us, he'll always be he'll never be from us and he'll never be never be one of us. But then Kadalika Murtab and that is how Allah misguides those who exceed the limits and who are in guilty of Israf and extravagance in thinking and everything else and those who are always in doubt. That doubt leads to a certain behavior uh, that is going to be defensive and very hostile against the other. So if you see someone as alien to you, you will be defensive, and that uh, type of psychology and psyche leads you to become very violent and hostile against those who are seen as the other. Mm. So what does Islam do? Islam says there's no other. You are all from Adam, kullukum in Adam. There's no alienation or amongst human beings. You're all part of the same family. You came from one source, one mother, one father. So Islam destroys that instantaneously as soon as you become a Muslim. You're part of the human race. So that is now how you, you um, cure this uh, xenophobia and uh, racism from its roots. You uproot it totally. Um, so the prophets came to show human beings, Tawheed, oneness, oneness in God, oneness in message, oneness in revelation, oneness in humanness, that all you, you are all human beings. You came from Adam and Hawa, and that's the end of the story. There should be no discussion after that. The fact that you come from another country, okay, these are boundaries in which you have exceeded. That's the word musrif there. You're extravagant in making these false geographic boundaries that are imaginary at best and saying that he is from this part of a land and we are from this part of the same land, it's the same earth. In the Ardi wa Quran, says, Allah says, my land, my earth is huge and vast. There's no sense of saying that this land is ours when Allah says, my land. That's why the Prophet said, that the whole earth has been made a masjid for me. I can pray anywhere on the planet, any piece of land. So whether it's India, Pakistan, Jerusalem, Aqsa, Mecca, Medina, Alaska, doesn't matter. You pray everywhere because Allah's land. So you remove that xenophobia instantaneously through ibadah. The beauty of Islam, that unite people in ibadah, through ibadah, because of ibadah. So when you worship Allah in the land, that is Allah's land. That's what the masjid is. Yeah? It's Allah's land, that they appropriated this piece of land for Allah. So when you bring Allah into the occasion, all of these false premises and ideologies and xenophobia and racism, well, that, that goes away. Okay, so the fact that Yusuf came from another land, which is only 20 miles away from you. <laughs> right? It's across the border from Gaza Strip, and you go into the Sinai, and that's Egypt, right? It's not even 20 miles. 
So why, why are you separating the, the, the Mexico and America? They're different. They're, they're politically, they're different. They're different countries, different nations, different states, laws, governance, whatever. But it's the same piece of land. There's no difference. The landscape in Tijuana is the same landscape in San Diego. There's no difference, except the houses are poorer there on the side. Right? And the infrastructure is different. But it's the same land, same earth. So that, that, well, this word musrif, that the believing person is using, very intriguing, that you have exceeded all boundaries in your demarcation of people and your land based on what it is who you think you are. That I have dominion authority over this piece of land. So this piece of land is mine. And therefore, anyone who doesn't believe in me uh, should not be welcome here. He's a foreigner. He's an alien. He doesn't have citizenship. He doesn't have a passport and whatever. He's totally a foreigner. So Islam came to remove all of those uh, geographical, political boundaries and then bring people closer to Allah through the idea that you can worship Allah anywhere on the planet. Equally, your salat is valid in Alaska as it is in front of the Kaaba. There's no difference there, except you get more reward there, because the Prophet said so. But you still get reward for worshipping Allah uh, wherever you are on earth. So we, we see this, that this, this one who exceeds all boundaries is a murtab. Um, he's always in doubt. He's confused all the time. And that confusion leads to another level of hostility. So when you're confused about something, then you're in delirium, right? And you suffer from anxiety and anger, and you don't know who you are, what you are, and that causes you to be even more defensive, more cautious, and then you don't want anybody who even speaks differently from you, who has a different accent, who dresses differently from you, who even eats differently from you, <laughs> that you don't eat the same cuisine as uh, this person here. So now what Muslims do, unfortunately, is that they, they succumb to this, and they integrate and they lose everything. That's not integration. Integration is that you are the giving hand, and you give people their values. You don't take values from other people. You're not the receiving hand, and that is the sign of a Muslim, that you do amr bil ma'aruf al-munkar. You do enjoin the good, and you forbid the evil because it is good and because it is evil, and you participate in mainstream discussion because of this, so that you give rather than you take. So when you take, you're always compromised. And if you have this mindset, then you will not be in doubt. Otherwise, you'll always be in doubt. Should we participate with the gay rights? You're always in doubt. Why are you even asking the question? It's a mute question. The question itself is haram to begin with. You understand what I'm saying? Now, this is the, 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 the disaster of integration at this very superficial level. You can't integrate when it comes to your deen. You separate your deen from all of that. You can dress the same, you can eat the same, you can be the same, whatever, but you can't worship Allah the same way they worship or they don't worship. We worship in a very different way. We make a distinction there, and that is the basis upon which we say we are Muslim, that we believe in salvation through Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and following him. So the Murtab is the one who is always doubting. There's raib, there's shak there. 
There's always speculation. There's always speculating. Maybe this, maybe this, maybe that. The Iman is not speculation. Iman is certain. It is yaqeen. It is certainty that I know Allah exists. I know Muhammad is the last messenger. I know there's an akhirah. I know there's a jannah. And that's the end of the story. Now you can say what you want. Nobody's going to show that is not the case. And nobody's going to tell me that's not the case, no matter what people say and do. So that is what we believe, that a Muslim da'i, uh, first of all, cannot be someone who speculates himself about Islam. Someone who doesn't believe Islam is the solution should not be given da'wah to Islam. He doesn't believe in himself. How is he going to give da'wah? You understand my point? Yeah, so this, this word murtab uh, is something that we should concentrate on, think about the ijaz of the Qur'an, the, the beauty of the Qur'an, the miracle uh, components of the words of the Qur'an. That the, the Qur'an is addressing this, that if you are a da'i and you are a believing man and a person, then you must show and express your belief with certainty, not with speculation, not with doubt. Because then the person in front of you will feel your doubt. You're going to give an aura of doubt to the person in front of you. And then he's going to attack you based on your doubt. Yeah, what I mean? Yeah, you're conceding. You see, I've cornered you. <laughs> then you lose your iman because you've based your iman on speculation, which doesn't exist. Iman is based on yaqeen, certainty, conviction that this is who I am, what I am, and that's the end of the story. This is why this person is strong in, in the sense that although he's from the family of Firaun, and he knows that Firaun most probably will execute him for saying what he's saying, but he doesn't care. This is the end of the story. This is how my Iman is now going to flourish and blossom and is going to come to fruition so that I can deliver the message to you because I'm part of you. I want you to be saved also. And the point of speculation and doubt is that you start arguing and bickering and doubting the signs of Allah. All right. So when Muslims start to doubt Islam and the Quran and the Sunnah and the Prophet and Islam, then that's what they're doing. Oh. And there's a very intriguing passage that we have so many lessons to learn from this believing man who hid his iman, saying that through Musa training and his, his education, you can see that he has so much knowledge and wisdom that he's bringing out in front of Firaun and his people. Without any authority that has come to them. You cannot doubt and speculate about Allah's signs. This is the proof that Allah exists and the proof that the Prophet is a prophet and so on. If you start doubting those proofs, then you had your chips, basically. You don't have too much hope because you are a doubter. So there, we cannot doubt what is the truth in terms of wahi. Revelation, whether it's revelation, Quran, revelation, sunnah, we believe in wahi because wahi came to the most truthful person on the planet, and that is the Prophet Muhammad. So then this person then goes on further and he gives a ruling. Kabura oh. maqtan 
that those who raise doubts and speculate about the proofs of Allah, yeah, they are uh, very disliked and scorned at, maqtan. So great is the scorn. So great is the, 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 the anger of Allah uh, when you do this, that you have a sign from Allah. It's very evident, it's very clear, it's self-evident and, and it's so obvious. But yet you start doubting and speculating about it. That is uh, abhorred by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, that is despised by Allah. That uh, how dare you say that this is not the way it is, this is not the truth. And how dare you say the Prophet is not the Prophet and all of this. So this is kabura maqtan in the Allahi wa in the ladina also in the eyes of the believers. So likewise, believers will also hate the idea that people are doubting, which is something that I think uh, Muslims of uh, the West should do also. That instead of feeling sorry for the people who doubt, you should be angry at them. Not that you show your anger by killing them. I'm not saying that. And then, but you should say that I totally disagree with you and I do not accept your premise. You have to say that. So that you say to people where you tell people where you stand. This is the Quran, the Quran says this and you're doubting that? I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you have this position. So, that, so in, in social media people compromise because they need to fit in. Because social media is about popularity. And if you don't have popularity, you can't have social media. <laughs> Right, hence scholars don't have social media because they're not popular. Right, they don't fit in anywhere. So social media is for the doubters, uh, that you gain traction. That if you say something that people doubt and people like people doubt who doubt, and then you go on there and say, oh yeah, this person's controversial, he's good, and this person doubting this thing about Islam, and he's asking the question, is the Quran the word of God, or is there one or two surahs missing from the Quran, or is the Prophet the the, the uh, Prophet of Allah, and is Islam the true solution to mankind, and so on. So I really love these types of people uh, because they're popular. So this ayah, this person who's believing is saying, in the way in the ladina manu, that even those who truly believe will scorn at the idea that Allah is doubted, that the Rasul is doubted. That Islam is doubted and the truth is doubted. So he says, you there, you must show some passion and show people where you stand. I stand here on this side of the fence and you stand over there on that side of the fence so that I know your position and I know my position. And so you make your position clear uh, by showing that you totally disagree and you are uh, abhorred. Right? And you're outraged that you have a position. And so, so now, unfortunately, what happens is that uh, Muslims, uh, they're, they're, because they're so kind and <laughs> right, uh, sympathetic to those who disbelieve uh, for some reason. So I don't mean warfare. I don't mean aggression. I don't mean terrorism. I mean in your ordinary daily conversation, if someone has a position or on your social media, someone has a position, then speak your mind. It's called freedom of expression. Speak your mind. The only thing they can do is that they, they won't follow you. And who cares? Do you care? 
If people who don't like what you say don't follow you, you probably don't want them to follow you in the first place. You know? Right, so just because you want to fit into the social media kind of culture, you don't speak your mind. So, I don't want to lose my friend. He's not your friend if he disagrees with the truth. Don't you get it? He's not your friend. He's your enemy. Yeah, you have to reform him or her. They don't have to reform you. You have to reform them. And the only way you can do that is show them where you stand. So this person who has tremendous wisdom, insight from Musa al-Islam is saying that those who believe will show that they do not appreciate people who cast doubt on the truth and on realities that came through wahi. You don't do that as a Muslim community, and we should not do that, and we should not give in and succumb to the pressures of society. And, every, and then he makes a further statement, which is even worse in the discussion, not worse in the sense of truth and wahi. He says this is very, very formidable, his statement here, كذلك. The final judgment. This is how Allah stamps the heart. The idea uh, that you're representing Allah and the Rasul, and then the idea that uh, theologically you're saying, this is how Allah stamps the heart of everyone who is arrogant and everyone who is domineering in his, uh, you know, discrediting the truth, and so on. Meaning that Allah doesn't give guidance to people whose hearts are closed to the truth, and so on. You can doubt as much as you want, and you can deny as much as you want, but the truth of the matter is that once that door of your heart is closed, then there's really no hope for you, so you have hope until you close the door. So we want you to open the door for the truth and let the truth come into you, seep into you, become part of you and you become you come you become it then Allah will guide you but if you don't and you believe that you are God like Firaun believes he's their Lord and you believe you are your own maker and thinker and creator and so on then you are mutkabbir you are someone who's arrogant where you don't uh, submit to another authority when you don't submit to a high authority you do not do so because you're arrogant. Like shaitan did not submit to Allah's authority. So Allah says, istakbara. That he became arrogant. Because he refused to submit to authority that was higher than him. And that's the rule of life. Also, you always submit. Uh, there's something called insubordination everywhere. Yeah, in corporate America, etc. So if you're insubordinate, you'll be kicked out. That's the end of the story. Right? So insubordination at any level is no good, which I just mentioned. That you, you can't be insubordinate to Firaun's power and say, you don't have any power. And say, well, I, I have power, I can kill you. <laughs> I'll show you I have power. So you have to respect that power, at least, to show that you're not insubordinate to something that's real. So when you're insubordinate to the idea that wahi is far more intellectual than whatever you have, then you're arrogant. So the idea in Islam is submission. What are you submitting to? You're submitting to the Rasul, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and you're submitting to Allah's laws and Allah's commandments and the ayat of the Quran and Wahi. That's your submission. That's Islam. You submit to that authority that is higher than you. When you say that I don't need to submit to anyone, 
because there's no one higher than me, then you're mutakabbir, then you're jabbar, then you're someone who's very arrogant and very foolish and very conceited. And then why would you be guided if you're conceited? Then you don't see that anyone, you don't need anyone to tell you what to do. And that is the point of modern day lack of ethics and immorality in the community that people don't want a referee in their lives, don't tell me what to do. I'm my own boss. I have freedom to be an anarchist. And that, unfortunately, is seeping into the Muslim community as we speak, that Muslims are saying, don't tell me what to do. I don't care what the Quran says, I don't care what the Hadith says, I don't care what this fatwa says, I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to do what I want to do because it feels good. And I'm my own boss. Okay, that then is the final nail in the coffin of those who are arrogant and those who are conceited and those who do not wish to uh, admit that someone else is above them. And that is, unfortunately, uh, something of a concern for all of us. We make dua. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides us through the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to understand the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps us under his uh, rahmah and his supervision. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to do what is the best for us in this world and also in the world hereafter. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayl khilqi Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi wa sahabihi wa rahmatihi 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 wa r